I church. But the thing is, there is no I in church, but there is a you. There is no I in church, but there is a you, and you have a place in the house of God and in the kingdom of God. And so, hey, as you're getting ready there and turning to Matthew chapter number 16, Father's Day is right around the corner, and it's taking place June the 17th here at TWBC. If you've got your uh, handout for the month of June this morning, you'll see a man on the front. His name is Marty Simpson. And fathers, we want to give to you on Father's Day that evening at 6 p.m. the gift of laugh. He's won the Clean Comedian of the Year Award, and he's going to be here at TWBC that Sunday night, June 17th. We're going to have it set up in a, in a comedy-style session with round tables and, and snacks and everything like that for kind of like a good theater night. And we want you to come with your family and your kids and just laugh in the presence of God. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. We can laugh together in the presence of God. I know that there are serious things, and we're always doing warfare in the presence of God, but I know this, that the joy of the Lord is also an amazing thing and we want you to experience true joy in a Christian setting and come laugh together as fathers and as families as we want to celebrate all of our fathers on Father's Day with the gift of laughing on the back side of it you'll see all the things that are going on in June from rage camp to kids camp to heart to heart to um, our, our new thing that we're gonna do on June the second upper room Many of you have loved what God's been doing in the upper room thing that we did for 10 days leading up to Pentecost Sunday. So the first Saturday of every month, we're doing an upper room session in classroom number five. Amen? It's going to be an awesome time, and so we want you to come and join us. June 2nd is going to be our first session of upper room, and so come join us. It's going to be a fun and amazing time in the kingdom of God. And so, hey, we know we're in a series this whole year called Planted, and we want you to get planted here with us. And there's three ways that we're encouraging you to get planted, and that's to attend regularly, give unto God his tithes and your offerings, and see what he can do in your life, and then talk about what God is doing in your life. If you talk about what God is doing in your life, you'll be more active in your Christian faith than if you just celebrate silently what God is doing in your life. Amen? And so we want you to begin to get planted here with us at TWBC. And we know the vision that's unrolling over the next few days and on the timeline. On uh, We're in the part of developing new group life, and you guys have been amazing in that. If you have not filled out your um, survey, there's some at the Info Center. We want to find out how you want to be involved at TWBC. And you now become the expression of what the Way Bible Church looks like. We want to do church with you and not do church for you any longer. And so we want you to jump in and be the expression expression of the way Bible church as all these things are beginning to to unfold and so we want you to get into three different areas we want you to get into serve groups no groups and grow groups and we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning as we jump into this series I church and so the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 16 we're going to jump into verse 13 this morning very common passage of scripture many of you have read have read this several times but I pray that God would open your eyes to some new things as we go through this and verse 13 says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now that's a question that Jesus is not just asking his disciples then, but he's asking you now. Put yourself in this position because Jesus ever liveth to intercede on our behalf. Jesus is alive and well. We're seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I believe today in the year 2018, he's asking us this very same question that he asked the, the disciples then. Who do the people of Sulphur Springs say that Jesus is? And when you phrase it like that, if you were to ask your top 10 friends that do not go to church, who do you say that Jesus Christ is 
what would their answer be? And if their answer would not be he is Christ, the son of the living God, we as the church have to give a better expression about who Jesus Christ truly is. Amen. And so that puts a great mandate on us when we ask ourselves this question. Who do we say that Jesus Christ is? Who do our top 10 friends that don't go to church say that Jesus Christ is? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So now we got question number two. Who do the people say that I am? Then who do you say that I am? You ask your friends, some people say he's a good person. Some people say he was a great leader. Some people say he was a good man. Some people will say he was even Jesus. He is, he is a son of God, but not the only son of God. And there's all different answers we're going to get. But then Je Jesus brings it to a very pointed question to us as individuals in the church. Who do you say that I am? What is your response to God on that question? Who do you say that Jesus Christ truly is and Simon Peter replied you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus said to him blessed are you Simon bar Jonah and the only thing bar Jonah means is son of Jonah blessed are you Simon son of Jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. He's given the church some great authority. And as we jump into this series called I Church, the title of this morning's message is The I Church Dilemma. The I Church Dilemma. So for this series, I Church, there's only one takeaway. This is the only thing I want you to get in iChurch series. It's this. There is no I in church, but there is a you. When I take the emphasis off of I in church and what I want in church and what I need in church, but other than that, I can begin to turn and look and say, how can I serve you in church? How can I grow with you in church? How can I know with you in church? It changes the whole perspective of church being a taker scenario to church being a giving scenario. Amen. And so when we begin to uh, deal with this I church dilemma, it's not all about what I want and what I need and what I think is best and what I think should be sung and what I think should be preached. It's about what do you need in the kingdom of God to be the expression of the kingdom of God. So when you're asked this question, who do you say that I am? You've got the right expression. And then you can ask your friends, who do you say that Jesus is? they can begin to get the right answers because church is no longer an I thing, it's a you thing. The only takeaway I want you to get from this whole series is this, there is no I in church, but there is a you. And for us to get the most out of church, we gotta view it properly. So it's not about what I need or want, but it's about what God says the church is. When we desire the church to become what God has said about it, then the needs of you and I will automatically be met. Now I'm going to say that again. When we as the body of Christ desire to become what God has said about church, what God has said about the church, then my needs and your needs will be met. Amen? The problem is when we come into church wanting my needs met, and then if it's okay to have your needs met, that's good too, but I have this issue and I want it met, and so we put our agenda before God's definition but if we'll put God's defini definition first, then our needs will be met. 
And so we must switch our perspective about church and how it's viewed, especially in America. And so like most things, the kingdom of God, like most things in the kingdom of God, what God says will seem contrary to carnal thinking and intellect. What God has said about it will seem contrary to your carnal thinking and your intellect. But if you'll begin to think with the mind of the spirit of God on the inside of you, it'll begin to make perfect sense. Because when you think with the mind of the spirit of God, you're thinking with the spirit of God. Because the Bible says deep calls out or cries out too deep in your life. And so in that, we will never be fulfilled as a follower of Christ until we go from these, three th three, from these four things that they're about to put on the screen. From a capital I and a lowercase church to a lowercase I and a capital church. When you become little and the church becomes big, everything changes. From going to church to an I take scenario to a little I and a big serve scenario. From going from an introvert, capital I, to a I grow scenario. I'm going to get out of my box. I'm going to grow in relationship with one another. I'm going to grow in groups with one another. And those are the three groups we're developing. I serve, I grow, and I know. And finally, when we get out of our IQ and get into him and be little I and a big no, no intimately, everything about the church will begin to change. And so with that, IQ stands for intelligent quotient. And too many times we try to relegate the things of God to our intelligent, not his eternity. We try to bring all of eternity into our intelligence, and I'm telling you, it can't fit. All of eternity will not fit into your intelligent quotient. And listen, I, I love what Pastor Robert Moore says. God does not have an IQ. He just has an eye. He is all intelligence. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is all-knowing God, and so when we get into a, making sure I'm a little I and he is the big K-N-O-W, we will know on a different level with God. And so we need to move from a big I and a little church to a little I and a big church, from I take to I serve, from introvert to I grow, and from IQ into I know if we are going to get the proper definition of the body of Christ. Amen. Do you agree with that? Amen. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise if you agree with that this morning. And now listen, there's something in seminary that is called the law of first mention. The law of first mention. And what that means is, it simply, time, it simply means the first time something in the Bible is mentioned of, of, of great importance, per se, not the first time the is mentioned in the Bible, but the first time church is mentioned in the Bible, you need to pay very uh, close attention to the verses immediately following that because many times that sets up the standard of what God wants to define that important topic as. So such as when you read in the, in the Old Testament, God created man, what's immediately following that? In his own image. So the definition of man should be in the image of God. So I should start acting and becoming more like Jesus Christ all the time because I've been born again in the image of God. So he created man in his own image, the Bible says. So in Matthew chapter number 16, he creates church. And because of the law of first mention, we pay particularly close to the verses following what that says. In verse 18 says this, and I tell you, you are Peter. Now listen, I want y'all to look at me instead of looking at your Bibles just for a minute. Okay, we'll look back at our Bibles in a second. Because if you don't get the, 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 the display of this right, the, the dialogue of this right, you're going to miss what he's saying. 
And he says this. He says, and I tell you. Jeff, can you come up here right quick? Just, just, Jeff's going to play Peter for just a moment. And so give Jeff a hand clap of praise. Amen. So he's looking at him and he, said, and he says this. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A lot of us have interpreted this. I call you Peter. And on you, Peter, this rock, I'm going to build my church. God did not build his rock on Peter. He built his rock on Jesus Christ. And we've got to make sure that's correct because Peter, even in his book in 1 and 2, Peter clarifies it. It says, we as living stones are being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So he even qualifies what Jesus Christ says here. So he says, and I call you Peter. And on this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And I tell you, Peter, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what he was saying. And so with that, we got to get the correct definition of church into, into our being, spirit, soul, and body. So we can walk into the fullness of the definition of what church really is. Amen? Y'all give Jeff a hand clap this is seated this morning. And so when he says this, he begins to say, uh, uh, and, and he says, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And I tell you that you are Peter. You notice he first says, Simon, son of Jonah, who do you say that I am? This is where he changes Peter's name from Simon to Rock. And so he says, Simon, son of Jonah, who do you say that I am? Then he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but, but my father is heaven. And I tell you, you are now rock. And on this rock, Jesus says, I'll build my church. And you as a rock, Peter, are going to be built on me, the rock of Jesus Christ, the living stones to build the church. And he goes on to say all the things that the church is able to do when they're built on Jesus Christ. The church has this, this standing that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right. Now, spending a lot more time on this than I originally intended, but I think it's important because the gates in the Old Testament were vital. And a lot of people read this, oh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We read right past it. But listen to what happened at the city gates of every Old Testament city. That's where all government transactions were made. That's where all economic deals were made. That's where law was instituted and put in place and they would nail it on the gates so people as they walked in would read the law. And Jesus is saying this, all the seven mountains of influence that take place at the gates of the city, he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So all the ungodly things of government, economics, finance, science, music, technology, religion that take place in your city, I'm calling you the church and at those gates, the church is going to have dominance and supremacy over all the evil going on in your city. Because why? I called you the church. And we look at church like, oh, we got to go to church. Jesus looked at you and said, I don't want you to go to church. I call you church. See, there's a different authority there. There's a different authority when Jesus calls you church rather than you saying, I got to go to church. Wednesday night, we got to go to church. No, there's an authority because Jesus called you church. He didn't say you got to go to church. He said, go be the church. And it's our job as believers to begin to, at the gates of our city, come on now, begin to undo all the evil mess that takes place. And that's why he goes on to say, because to get into the city gates, you got to have a what? A key. And he said this, 
He said, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is greater than your city gates. And I'm giving you heavenly keys that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now let's go be the church, amen. When you're driving around the city of Sulphur Springs, when you're driving to your favorite restaurant on the square and you drive by the courthouse every single day, don't sit here and say, I just wish things would change. No, he said, I've given you the keys and they're the gates to the kingdom of heaven that are greater than the gates of your city that you can begin to transform your city by being the church. Ooh, I like being the church. Come on. I love being the church. I love the place we have in the church, in the body of Christ at large. And so the law of first mention says this, write this down, because the first time church is mentioned, he gave you this authority with it. But then greater authority is given to the church as we move forward and grow in that because he also goes on to say that in Ephesians 5, 24 through 32, you're not just the church, but you're the bride of Christ. And husbands, I don't know about you, but the first time you laid eyes on your bride when she was walking down the aisle in that wedding dress for the first time, there was every emotion in your life taking place that said, this is the one that I'm going to live with, serve with, protect, supply for, honor and respect all the days of my life. And I'm going to cherish her and I'm going to make sure her needs are before my needs. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Notice I said on the wedding day when she walked down the aisle, because <laughs> about three months later, half of y'all are in counseling. Praise God. That's okay. Start living right. It's an amazing thing. And the bride of Christ, he calls us his. And if you'll read Ephesians, when he talks about the bride of Christ, Paul says, I speak of a great mystery, but I'm not talking about husband and wife. I'm talking about Christ in the church. Right. Ooh, come on now. Yeah. That's good. And so I want to encourage you that he doesn't just call you um, the uh, place that, that's a rock that he's building that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. You are loved as a bride. Hallelujah. But then he also says, you're treated as part of his own body. The Bible says that in uh, Colossians 1.18. So in Matthew, he says, we are an entity, a living organism that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. We are the bride of Christ and we are the body of Christ. And listen, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So the first impression Jesus gave us was this, of a church walking in power and authority that the gates of hell cannot prevail against that has access to the kingdom of heaven to bring the kingdom of heaven to our place in the earth. And I'm telling you, that left a great first impression on the early church that we've lost the true definition in today's church. So let's get back to God's definition so we begin to have God's expression of what the church truly is. And so the world's definition of church is this, a building used for public Christian worship, according to Oscar's Dictionary. So the world has said the church is a building, God has said the church is a people. Which definition are you going to start going by? I say we go by God's definition and see what's happening. And so with this, in the rest of this message, we're going to figure out where he's going to build it, how he's going to build it, and why he's going to build it. So where he's going to build it, why he's going to build it, and how he's going to build it, we're going to find that out. And so as we begin to know and go into little I, big no about what God is going to do in the church, he says this, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now listen, this is not a moment of insecurity or introspection. Jesus knew and knows who he is. That Jesus had no confidence issues. Jesus had no authority flaws. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what his mandate was here on the earth. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Because in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, he says, I have come and the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to deliver those who are oppressed, to set the captives free, to declare this is the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. Hallelujah. There was no confidence issue. He knew exactly why he was here, what he was going to do, and how he was going to do it. And he begins to manifest it in every area that he walks. The reason he asked that question is not because he, Jesus needed to know who he was, but he wanted to make sure the church knows who he is. See, a lot of our struggle in this life, it's not because we are lack of faith. It's not because we have all these holiness issues. It's because we haven't settled in our heart and our mind who Jesus Christ really is. You know him as Savior, but many of us don't know him as Lord. We know him as the one who died for our sins and was rose again, so we celebrate him on Easter. But we don't understand him as the resurrected King of glory right now, sitting at the right hand of God with eyes of fire and hair white as snow and feet ablaze of burnished bronze, walking in power and authority, ready to stand up and say, Bride, come on up. Come on. Come on. I know that because it was quiet at that moment. See, I want you to get to know that Jesus. Because the Jesus I serve isn't dead hanging on a cross. The Jesus I serve isn't even at an empty tomb. The Jesus I serve is seated with his Father in the heavenlies, and you're seated right there with him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we walk with that and in that. And so Peter's response to this is he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus has given himself so we can become sons. Jesus has given himself so we can become sons. Jesus has given himself so we can become sons. When I drove on the parking lot this morning, all as I saw in, in, in my mind was this, that it was the story of the prodigal son. And it wasn't the story where everybody loves, oh, he's coming home and the guy runs out and meets and grabs his son and it's the perfect picture. No, it was the end of the story. When the older son said this, I have been slaving in your kingdom all of my life. And you haven't given me anything to celebrate with my friends. The older son lived in the kingdom of his father all his life and never knew he was a son. Never truly knew he was a son. And I saw the father outside pleading with the son, come in and celebrate for the one who is lost is now found. And all there was was this man standing very stoic and hard-hearted like a body of stone saying, I'm not moving off of my religious standing to come into a place of sonship. Oh, the father's heart is this morning that you would move off of your religious standing and become a son in the kingdom of God because the reason Jesus Christ has given himself is so that we can become sons. Why does he want us to be sons? As sons of God, we are empowered by his person, Jesus Christ, to reveal his person, which is Jesus Christ. Kevin, say it again. Why does he want us to become sons? Why does God have great emphasis on you being a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God? Because only sons are empowered by God to reveal his person, Jesus Christ, in this earth. 
Only sons and daughters can. See, you guys can tell me a lot about my earthly dad, but only I can reveal you to the heart of my earthly dad. Why? Because I'm his son. Y'all didn't see him when he'd come home from 15-hour days covered in green hay dust from hay grinding for 15-hour for days, six days a week when we were trying to make ends meet and couldn't really do a lot. And, and, and you, you, didn't, you, don't, you, you, know, you may know the love of my father, but you didn't see the love of my father like I saw the love of my father. So me as a son can display the love of my father because I experienced the love of my father. The same reason Jesus wants us in this earth to become sons and not slaves or servants is because only sons can reveal the heart of his person, Jesus Christ. And only sons can be the picture person of Jesus Christ here in this earth that God is calling us to be. He wants us to become sons. But you can't become sons unless you begin to know who he is. That's why he's asking, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am in the kingdom of God? And listen, Jesus responds to, to Peter and he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now listen, that's a key phrase in the, in the transition of everything that Jesus is doing in his ministry. No longer is Jesus just going by miracle and supernatural healing through himself. The heavenly father is now opening up because Jesus Christ is in the earth to people who are not Jesus. Come on now. And revealing himself to them that I am the father of this man, Jesus Christ. He is the son of almighty God. He is son and I am father and the two are one because he knows my heart. For the first time in scripture, theology is switching over. Doctrine is changing over to new covenant before the cross even happened because God is revealing himself as father, not just God. And to Peter, he said, you're, you're noticing I'm son. So therefore, get ready. You're becoming a name change and you're becoming into the kingdom of God. Because flesh and blood can't reveal that. Only my father who is in heaven. And listen, it's not a rock in your life. It's not a strong, solid, stronghold, godly stronghold in your life until it's been revealed to you. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are you. There's a blessing coming on your life because the heavenly father has revealed to you who I am. And now I can call you rock. And when it's not, and it's a stronghold that, that, that a rock, it says it's the rock that won't chip, crack, break, or crumble under pressure. It's a revealed rock that it doesn't matter how crazy the circumstances of the world get, that that rock is going to stand. I love the pictures when you have uh, football games going on and you have uh, the Prudential commercials. And you have the big rock of Gibraltar that's out there in the middle of the ocean just standing. And it stood there for centuries upon centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And every time I see those commercials with the rock of Gibraltar out there, I, I picture it in my head. That is a rock that is not moved by circumstances in the weather. It's not moved by circumstances in the surrounding atmosphere. It's not moved by rain. It's not moved by lightning. It's not moved by thunder. It's not moved by storms. It's not moved by the crashing of the waves. It's not moved by anything because it's a rock that's been established. Oh, come on now. That's Jesus in my life. That's Jesus in your life. But he doesn't want it to just be Jesus in your life. He wants you to become that. In this earth, something that is not moved by a weather condition, come on. Something that's not, that's not moved by a bank account condition. Something that's not moved by a marital condition. See, your conditions that hit your life should start tra transforming around your life. Not you conforming to it. 
So when you look at the conditions that are surrounding you, God's calling you to be the rock in the middle of those conditions because you are establishing your position here in the earth when you are living on that revealed rock. Now listen, in the Old Testament, Joshua was commanded to take 12 stones out of the river as they crossed into the promised land and they were to build an altar as remembrance so in the years to come, the Bible says, when everything is crazy, you can look at those rocks, you can come back to this place and remember that I am the God who brought you not just out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, but brought you through the desert for 40 years and brought you through the river and stopped it and the water backed up to a city called Sin. Come on now. And the rest of it flowed down and you walked through on dry ground again, but in the midst of that, pick up the rocks that you walked on on dry ground and bring them out with you as a revealed altar in your life that I can't be moved from. Come on now, that's so good. I love talking about the rock of Jesus Christ. So good. It's not a rock until it's been revealed in your life. Notice what he is doing throughout this whole passage of Scripture. If you, put, if you start combining all the passages before it and after it and start looking at it as one big entity, notice what Jesus is doing. He's not building a building. He's building a people. Jesus is not building a building. He's building a people. At TWBC, we are not about building projects. We are about building people. And we are about building people, and that's why we need you to find a place in small groups to get into I serve, I grow, and I know because we're building a people, and we're making the I lowercase and serve, grow, and know capital because that is the church, and there is no I in church, but there is a you that has a part to play, and with that, you are a rock, Jesus said, being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ as a living stone, and all of us are being built together, so that means we we are not complete without every one of you. Oh, if you'll read how he's building us together as living stones. We're not complete if we're missing one. And I look at church every single year from two different aspects. Aspect number one. We look at how many people show up regularly. Aspect number two, how many people show up on Easter. And any given Sunday, you see only about a 40% piece of the complete picture because we're missing 60% of you. Obviously not you because you're here today, right? But we don't want to miss you. And we want to create an environment in church that it is geared around, built on Jesus Christ, but geared around you and your expression of how God can move in you and through you in every area of your life. So where is he going to build it? He is going to build this church on the rock of Jesus Christ. So all the stuff God is telling us to do at TWBC, we're making sure it's firmly founded on the rock of Jesus Christ. How is he going to do it? He's going to do it through us. Us as a people. God in his infinite wisdom, and so I don't question his infinite wisdom, but I do ask the question sometimes. There's a big difference. I asked the question, God, in your infinite wisdom and all you could have chosen to do, why did you choose to do it through people? Come on now, you know you're with me. And I'll even put it personal. God, in all of your infinite wisdom, and you could have chosen anybody in the history of the globe from the since time began until, until Jesus comes back to do a church at TWBC in Sulphur Springs, why did you pick me? 
Lord, help us. Why did you choose people? Why did you choose me? And he said, because I'm building a family of sons and daughters. I'm not building a heaven of angels and things. I'm building a family of sons and daughters. And he said, Joel, why do you put up with some of the stuff your kids do? Because I love them. They're amazing. Got the best kids in the whole world. Sorry, yours are second place. <laughs> telling you. My kid will even jump off an inner tube going at 30 miles an hour. Craziness. I don't know where he gets it from. <laughs> telling you. He puts up with it because he loves you. And to some of you this morning, he's saying, please come inside. I know you're in the building, but he's saying, come into my presence. This is more than a holiday weekend service. This is your one-on-one -on -one encounter with the living God. So where is he going to build it? He's going to build it on Jesus Christ. How is he going to build it? He's going to build it through us. Why is he going to build it? Because the church is still the hope of the world. Why is he going to build it? Because the church is still the hope of the world. God chose to work through his entity called the church. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And he fulfills that at the great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore you go in my name. You remember that old-timey cartoon when they would see somebody running away and they would say, what, stop in the name of the law? It wasn't stop in the name of the police officer. Stop with the authority of the law that I'm talking with. Oh, I could go on for hours on this. When you walk out of this building, you begin to declare things from heaven in your life because they are listening not to you as the physical earthly being, but the authority that's in you with Jesus Christ son of the living God and the power of his Holy Spirit that's not just operating in you but it's operating on you and all around you for the transformation of cities where the gates of hell will no longer be able to prevail against so the question I ask is this you are here in his presence and who do you say that he is and I would like you to make your mind up before you leave this building as the worship team comes and the prayer team comes and begins to pray, I would like you to make your mind up before you leave this building. And you're saying, Pastor, what, what do you mean by that? And here's what I mean. We get so easily distracted in today's society that many of you have already quit listening to me because everybody walking around, right? Like I said, we get so easily distracted in today's society that you leave and never answer that question. You know it's a good question when I asked it. But in a minute, you're going to stand, and the formalities of religion will set in, and we're going to hear a song played, and I don't really have a request, so I'm going to come to the, I don't need to come to the altar, but I guess I'll just wait this out, and I'll go home, and we'll eat lunch, and you never answered the question. You never made up your mind, who do you say the Son of Man is? Who do you say in your life that Jesus Christ is? 
Because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what I would say. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my King of Kings. He is my bright morning star. He is my lily of the valley. He is my, uh, uh, he is my lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one that stands with eyes of fire. He is the one who died on a cross for me and rose again from the dead for me. He is the one that said it's better that I go so Joel the Holy Spirit can come to you. He is my healer. He is my source. Not my resource. He is my source. He is my alpha. He is my omega. He is what I wake up to in the morning. He's what I go to bed at at night. He is my King of Kings. He is my Jehovah Jireh. He is my Jehovah the Healer. He is my breakthrough in every area of my life. I know who I'm serving. But I don't want to do church for you. I don't want you to stand up there and clap because I was able to quote a lot of things Jesus says to me. But I do want you to grab onto one thing that he is to you today. So before you leave, make up your mind. Who is he? If you've never met Jesus Christ, I want to introduce you to him this morning. He is the son of the living God who died for your sins and mine, but was raised again in newness of life so that we can have a new life in him. And if you'll receive his sacrificial uh, sacrifice that was on the cross of Calvary, he says you will become born again in a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the old sin of your life will go away in the past, and there's a new life awaiting you that you can step into because of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, oh, I want to introduce you to him this morning so you can leave here knowing who he is.